Welcome back to Cresta in the Afternoon. I'm Marcus Peter, filling in for Al as he deals with a family issue. For this segment, as I mentioned earlier, we'll be talking about uh, the, a very common discussion, a perennial discussion, on the notion of faith and reason as being complementary. The question here is, is God beyond reason? On September the sixteenth of uh, September the twelfth of two thousand and six, Pope Benedict the sixteenth gave what is perhaps one of the most monumental talks on faith, reason, uh, faith and reason, and the study of theology within the university. Here to talk to us about the reality of God and reason, and linking it to the wisdom of modern lit- of classical literature is Joseph Pierce. Joseph is a senior contributor at the Imaginative Conservative. He's a native of England. Mr. Pierce is the director of book publishing at the Augustine Institute and the editor of the St. Austin Review. He's the series editor of the Ignatius Critical Editions and is the author of numerous books, including The Quest for Shakespeare, Tolkien, Man and Myth, The Unmasking of Oscar Wilde, C.S. Lewis and the Catholic Church, literary converts, and a whole host of other th- other titles. We invite you to visit his personal website at jpierce, that's j-p-e-a-r-c-e dot co. Right now, let's welcome Joseph to the show. Joseph, it's great to have you on the show. It's good to be with you. Yeah, it's such a pleasure to meet you. I've been a fan of your work for a long time. I, I follow a lot of your commentaries, and uh, it was really my bride who turned me on to the the kind of work you do because she is a she possesses an undergraduate degree in literature, and uh, that's a major lacunae in in my own area of formation because I'm a theologian philosopher. And uh, encountering your work helped me see how the wisdom of theology helps enlighten the the in, these implicit truths that are found within classical literature. So. Is God beyond reason? Just take us through this recent article that you wrote and published in the Imaginative Conservative. Yes, basically, the the I, I was uh, you, you, I'm very pleased you sort of alluded to a, a referenced Pope Benedict the Sixteenth uh, Regensburg address um, because uh, you know they, what we see is basically the teaching of the magisterium uh, in that address, and which I'm trying to do in my own article that faith and reason. Fides et ratio are indissolubly married. There's an indissoluble union, a marriage, a one fleshness between faith and reason, and you can't separate them without both losing faith and reason. Uh, so the two have to be held together. And this this idea, you know, that obviously is incarnate within the teaching magisterium of the Catholic Church is also implicit, certainly, and up to a degree explicit in some of the great. Greek philosophers such as Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle. So uh, I was talking uh, in my article about the fact that um, God is beyond our human capacity to reason, but not beyond reason itself. And that's a very important distinction. Absolutely. And in fact, that is the, that's one of the central claims of voluntaristic religions such as Islam, which is very simply that God is beyond any categories, which is one of the claims that Pope Benedict asserts that is made by Emmanuel Paleologus II in his Regensburg Address. So this, this entire article seems to have been prompted by a discussion that you had with a certain student. I believe it was uh, one of your graduate students. Would you, would you care walking us through the nature of that discussion and what prompted you to flesh out these thoughts? 
sure. Yeah, no, he he he's not one of my students. You know, I I, I um I, people write to me from all different places, so it's just a private correspondence. And this this is a graduate student in literature, and he'd written a thesis on uh, on Dante's Divine Comedy, uh, in which he basically uh, implied that that Dante, the character in the Divine Comedy, had to if you like, move beyond reason in order to ascend into paradise. That basically reason takes you so far, ultimately within the context of the Divine Comedy, up to the summit of Mount Purgatory. But if you want to go further into the mystery of God's presence in heaven itself, you have to sort of leave reason behind. That was what he was implying, and that was what I was taking issue with. And why do we take issue with that? It, it would seem to be the imagery actually does uh, presuppose that the the you know virtuous pagans they stop short of this this certain limbo pleasant afterlife without being able to go into the beatific vision. So he's I know he's playing off of that imagery within the Divine Comedy. Uh, but but walk us through why why would you why would we as faithful Catholics take issue to that statement? Well, the first thing is the reason that Virgil and, 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 and the pagans can't enter into the beatific vision is not because they have wrong, uh, the reason is not sufficient, it's because they don't actually have revelation. <laughs> uh, they, the, the Christ has not been revealed to them uh, as pagans. They do not know the fullness of reality uh, and the fullness of reason, which is made manifest in the person of Jesus Christ as the incarnate God. They don't know that. So it's actually, it, it, it's, the, it's a theological de- defect that prevents them getting into heaven, not a, a, a rational philosophical defect. The, 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 the analogy I use, the metaphor I use in the article, is that I, I talk about um, our relationship with God in terms of our ability to reason as being similar to that of a dog's relationship with its owner. So, you know, if, if its owner is reading a newspaper, the dog will know from, from its, its dog, dog intellect, its dog reason, that as long as the man holds that newspaper in front of him uh, the dog is not going to get fed or be taken for a walk but the dog is never going to be able to read the newspaper because that's beyond the limit of the dog's ability so um but that doesn't mean that, that you know it, that, that, that um, the, the reading is something which doesn't exist because we uh, are not able to do it so what i'm sort of saying is that part of the beatific vision is that when we as human persons are perfected that we become the perfect person that we were made to be, not just free from sin, but also able to uh, engage with uh, reality, uh, the ultimate beatific reality of God's presence, on a level of uh, reasoning which is not possible in the veil of tears in which we find ourselves, the cloud of unknowing. And I, I, when I ever say, when I say the Salve Regina, I always say veil of tears and not valley of tears because I like the um, the double entendre. Veil being V-A-L-E as in valley, but also V-E-I-L mm-hmm. as in a veil that, 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 if you like, shrouds our vision. We, we see through a veil. We don't see things as God sees them. And of course, we'll never be omniscient as God is, but we will have the perfected reason that's appropriate to our perfected being in heaven. And that's going to be something which is akin to the dog being able to read. Precisely. And you you make this wondrous distinction as you employ this analogy of making sure that we understand that there truly exists a disparity. They're complementary, but there's a disparity between understanding and reason. And even within Latin, we've we've got the concept of comprehensio and apprehensio versus ratio. So walk us through why it's so necessary for us as intellectual, rational beings to be able to understand 
the distinction between these two terms and how that should be employed in our contemplation of uh, life as we know it in the afterlife. Yeah, well, that, that's, uh, that's a great question, of course, and it's crucial, and it, and it plays upon one of the, the, the problems we have in, in the uh, implicit relativism, the dictatorship of relativism, as Pope Benedict the uh, Sixteenth would say, is that we, we've, we cease to distinguish between objectivity and subjectivity. Now, ratio, reason, is something objective. It's something which exists, whether we like it or not, know it or not, or can understand it or not. Uh, whereas our understanding is something subjective, it's something which belongs to us, that my understanding of something is going to be different from your understanding of something. Um, uh, and that's something which is relative to each of us, but uh, that it's, not, it's something which is also subject to something bigger than itself, which is uh, reason. So in other words, that we, that we may understand something to varying degrees, but the thing to be understood is real regardless of our ability to understand it. So that, of course, is true in the absolute sense of God, um, that God is true in his fullness beyond our capacity to understand him as he understands himself. Um, but he is the Logos, he is reason. Um, in other words, all reason, if you like, shines forth from him and points back to him. And so reason is something which is um, uh, transcends our ability to comprehend it. But it is not something which is irrational. And insofar as we comprehend it, we are, be, we are actually using reason. Insofar as we don't comprehend it, we have an inability to use reason. You know, I love that you employed the term dictatorship of relativism because precisely as you said, uh, we can't completely comprehend reason itself, but we have an obligation to utilize reason, and God is reason. He's not bound by the category of reason, but he is reason itself. You know, thinking back to that uh, homily where Benedict XVI spoke about the dictatorship of relativism, it was the homily on, if I'm remembering correctly, it was on the event of the... Uh, of the funeral of uh, Pope John Paul II, am I correct in saying that? I think actually, I think actually, it was the final homily he gave uh, uh, as Pope uh, as Cardinal Ratzinger prior to the election. That's of, right. Ironically, himself as that's Pope. Right. Um, that, that's where that's where he coined the term. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I remember reading. I remember reading reading that homily, and and I I already thought to himself, this man would make a fantastic Pope long before he was elected. And as soon as uh, as soon as he was elected, I remember reading that in hindsight, and upon my conversion into the Catholic faith, thinking he doomed himself. You know, after after giving that that homily, that that, that one last address, that rousing uh, hurrah to to the College of Cardinals, there was no way that the Holy Spirit was not speaking as clearly as he was through Bennett through Ratzinger then, saying that this is the man who's going to lead the church in the footsteps of John Paul II and beyond. So. Uh, just going back to the Regensburg address then, and even that, that talk on the dictatorship of relativism, Benedict XVI highlights the problem of dehellenization and how it led to modern relativism as we know it. And you talk about Plato and Aristotle and how they were baptized by Augustine and Aquinas. We've got about a little under two minutes. Just, just help us understand the relationship between Hellenic philosophy and the theological thought of the church. Yes, basically the, the key thing is we talk about the, the, the union of, of Athens and Jerusalem. If you like, that the, the truth is revealed theologically through the covenant of the Jews and it's fulfilled uh, in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And, and, and that's the theological path to truth. Uh, in Athens, we see the rational path to truth. Uh, through those, that golden age of Greek philosophy, um, you know, four or five hundred years before the birth of Christ, and then 
Augustine adopts Plato, Aquinas adopts Aristotle, and we basically see Jerusalem and Athens, if you like, married, faith and reason, theology and philosophy married. Uh, and, the, and the real glory of, uh, of the Catholic Church, G.K. Chesterton said, that the Catholic Church is the one continuous institution that's been thinking about thinking for 2,000 years. And, 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 and an institution that's been doing that in terms of faith and reason is an institution that should be listened to. And we should also say that it's an institution which is not a human institution, it's the mystical body of Jesus Christ, the fullness of which is found in the Church Triumphant, and all faith and reason leads ultimately to the beatific vision of God in the Church Triumphant. Thank you so much for your time on the show, Joseph. And I would love to continue these conversations uh, long after this. So uh, keep up your good work and just know that you're transforming intellects and lives. We want to thank you all for staying on the show. Keep staying tuned as we continue to talk about how the Bishop's Eucharistic document pertains to today's leaders on Crescent in the Afternoon. I'm Marcus Peter. <laughs> 